Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. are listening to Red Sea Roundup, and I am your host today, Pam Marvin. So welcome, welcome. I'm glad you could join us. I would like to start, as we do in Red Sea Roundup during this year of St. Joseph. Oh, gotta love St. Joseph. We're going to start with a prayer, all right? Let's start with, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. O blessed Joseph, faithful guardian of my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, protector of your chaste spouse, the Virgin Mother of God, I choose you this day to be my special patron and advocate, and I firmly resolve to honor you all the days of my life. Therefore, I humbly call on you to receive me as your adopted child, to instruct me in every doubt, to comfort me in every affliction, and to obtain for me all the knowledge of love of the sacred heart of Jesus." And finally, to defend and protect me at the hour of my death. Amen. Well, good morning to you there, Thaddeus. How are you? Well, good morning, Pam, and good morning to all of our listeners all across our listening area. Whether you're listening on 88.5 KDC in the Brazos Valley, 98.3 KYAR in Central Texas, or 107.9 KINF LP in Palestine. Welcome, everybody. Holy Week's upon us. Wow. It's here and it's beautiful. Today, you know, if you, um, this is typically a day of St. Joseph Wednesdays. It is. Every, surely, every week, Wednesday is St. Joseph's Day, special why day. Why is that? Do you, know the, do you know the history behind that? I don't know. I just know that it is, but I don't know why that it is. So, but we do play, Paul and I will pray the Litany of St. Joseph. And I also... Oh, gosh, about a year or so ago, started um, fasting for meat on Wednesdays because it was a day of Christ's betrayal, which we remember so much today in the scriptures um, and the mass as the day of betrayal. Yeah. And today is um, in Holy Week. Today is uh, Spy Wednesday, right? That's right. You want to talk about uh, what that is? What Spy Wednesday well, is? Well, you know, I can infer quite a bit. Good old, well, good old Judas. God bless him, I guess. You know, I, we had some really reflections on his betrayal of Christ. You know, he actually walked with Christ. He was there with Christ. But the one thing that I've noticed over the readings in the last few days, too, about Judas is he was overly concerned with money. Mm-hmm. And and as we reflect further on that, it's the love of money. And Paul and I were reflecting this morning just how we do feel like that was the love of the money is the root of all evil. Mm-hmm. And we can see that um, so much so, I think, in our current, the current times that we're living in is that love of money just really mm-hmm. can corrupt a soul. It's almost like letting in, you know, that... I guess the the greed demon, so to speak, mm-hmm. that really can corrupt everything and, and and really put scales on your eyes not to see anything. Because, you know, how could you possibly, how could you possibly walk next to the Son of God for as long as He did and yet still, 
still betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Mm -hmm. Uh, Something in the readings from Monday, um, that gospel, I know it stood out to me for the first time that uh, John makes the point that Judas had been stealing from the collection for a long time. He had been taking from the, so he was, um, he was a corrupt bishop. Mm. He was a corrupt clergyman in the, in the church doing, doing his, his thing. So, Mm. you know, it's been here from the beginning folks. Yes. And it is that, and it's at the heart of it, it's love of money. So I always, I would encourage on a day like today when we're really reflecting on Judas and his betrayal of the Son of God, in what small ways do we betray God the Father in our own personal sinfulness and our own type of uh, greed? I want to look at that. You know, that that's that root, that basic uh, of the seven deadly that was, you know, obviously pride is there above mm-hmm. it, but uh, the greed. Mm-hmm. Oh, it just, it corrupts people. It's just so amazing how it, and I love this phrase, um, Thaddeus, because while at the same time it evokes mercy from me too, but this kind of sin darkens the intellect. So normal, like say a very good person, you've known them for a long time and they've been an honorable, good person and they commit a mortal sin their intellect is darkened and Satan gets in there. What does that mean? He gets in there and starts to justify all their sin. And so they no longer, I mean, it really twists it and they no longer can really see that sin. And to me, so heartbreaking. I mean, I'm just, my heart is just, you know, like you're just taking it like an old towel and squeezing the water out of it, just wrenched like that. It's just, it's so tragic. But speaking of the scripture, hey, this just in. Yeah. Uh, let me. Oh, okay. You asked about why. Why is Wednesday traditionally uh, Saint Joseph's Day of the Week? And this is from David Clayton, uh, the, his the author. <clears throat> he's the author with his wife of the Little Oratory, and he says this uh, quote: "This is the day the week turns on. It's no wonder that the wisdom of popular piety puts Saint Joseph here in the center of daily life. Saint Joseph." The center of daily life. The center of daily life. St. Joseph represents fatherhood, care, protection, a happy death, and sanctified work. He has been called the shadow of the father. Wow. End quote. But, you know, most people know one of his titles is Terror of Demons. But you know what my favorite is after reading the litany um, today, again, was a pillar of families. Mm. Mm. I love that. I just love that imagery, the pillar of families. But going back to reflections again on this week, there was one from, I guess it was yesterday's, Tuesday's, yeah, where Peter, I mean, my reflection in my journal was that, oh my gosh, I am Peter. I am Peter. Because at the table, when Jesus begins to talk about how someone will betray him, there's this imagery of Peter leaning into Christ's chest, like going close to him and leaning in and say, oh, it is not I, right, Father? Yeah, I would I would die for you. I would do anything for <clears throat> and so how often do we feel like, oh my Lord and my God, you know, we're strength, we're strong. We're up on the mountain and we're like, I would die for you, Jesus. I would just do anything for you. And just a short while later, he's so frightened and fearful, he denies his Lord. And this is someone who 
profoundly loves, profoundly loves Jesus and still denies him. Oh, I just started thinking, oh, you know, that, that whole thing that St. Paul says, you know, I cannot do the things I wish. What, can you quote that better than I can? You know, he's like, I do the things I do not want because of our own fallen nature. And uh, I just saw that so clearly in Peter. I'm like, oh my gosh, I am Peter. At one moment, can pour out my heart and soul and love and vigor and fierceness. And then something tragic happens and I'm frightened and don't know what to do, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that that shows um, we all have that capacity too as human beings of, you know, we have the good intention. We have that intention to want to be faithful and to do the right thing. But uh, how often when it comes down to it that we that we fail? Oh, so true. Yeah. I mean... Just, I have a the personal reflection of how um, when the pandemic hit last year, as we saw it coming and the lockdown was coming, I had this like, these are biblical times and Christ has called us to it. And I was full of just like, um, I don't know. Zeal. It was a zeal for bring it on, you know, what's it going to be? And then I got the virus and I was weak and crying. <laughs> And just like, oh my gosh, now that it's here, I'm not so strong. But isn't isn't that part of our true humanity on that, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, Thaddeus, I also want to reflect on some of my favorite memories from Holy Week that I personally went through. And I encourage you to think about one or maybe one of yours too. But this has been several years ago, but um, I guess within the last 10 to 12 years, I was, it was Good Friday, so there was no Eucharist, which was profoundly weird to me. There's no Mass. There was Eucharist available, obviously, that had been consecrated the day before. But as you know, that's the one day of the year that um, the Mass is not actually celebrated. That There's no... That's right. You know, trans substantiation happens that day. Mm-hmm. And that really hit me hard. Like the absence of that was really, really profound to me. And as I'm kneeling and praying and looking up at the crucifix, I got this tremendous overwhelming sense of how personal it was that as he hung there, I was imagining him, you know, literally on the cross, just imagining him out, out, being out of space and time and so it was just as real today of him hanging on the cross because if he's outside of space and time, that moment is there. And he knows that moment that I w- was having with him as I looked upon, you know, a likeness of him on the cross. And I, I mean, I just started weeping so, so much because I was like, this is so personal. He did it for me. It was like he just reached out and said, I did this for you. This is personal because I love you. Mm-hmm. And I really encourage our listeners, maybe this, uh, Holy Friday to be in front of a crucifix to really um, reflect on how personal it really is. He's out of space and time, and he is loving you from from afar, so to speak. I know that we're stuck in space and time. Sometimes that's a little annoying. <laughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite reflections of how Holy Week has changed me. Um, going to the triduums too, just so beautiful. 
Do you have like a story that oh, this is one of my favorite reflections of Holy Week's past? Well, a, a favorite memory of Holy Week's past um, when I was a child, um, a tradition in the Catholic Church was on Holy Thursday night after you went to after you went to Mass on Holy Thursday, you would go and visit various churches in your city and you would spend time with the reposed blessed sacrament. Mm. You know, so the blessed sacraments removed from the, from the tabernacle at the end of the good Friday mass. And it's taken to an altar of reposition. It's, you know, in some other, sometimes it's a chapel or an adoration chapel. Um, and you can go and visit different churches and, and spend time in meditation and adoration mm. of the blessed sacrament repose, not, not in exposition. Um, and I, I just loved that as a child because I loved going to the different parishes and some of them were parishes I had never been in in Denver and others were ones that I had been in, but seeing the, the sameness and the, the uniqueness of, of each church. So each church was the same in, in some ways and each church was different in, in some ways. And I, and that universality of that Catholicity right. of the Catholic church that really brought that home to me, um, in a, in a very special, profound way. And uh, I, and I always loved doing that as a child. Well, I want to tell that reminds me of another beautiful story I have. And it's about a beautiful priest that's near and dear to my heart. And I'll tell his name at the end of the story. But I was at one of those uh, locations here in town where I was going to keep post with him while he is reposed in the tabernacle far away from the main church. The priest was there. And then out of nowhere, the priest started just singing from the bottom of his heart about his beloved which was Jesus Christ in that tabernacle at that moment in time. And it brought tears to my eyes to see this priest singing to this beloved in, in the tabernacle. Can you guess who the priest was? No, probably no, no not. Guess. It was Father Dean Wilhelm. Woohoo! And he was, you know, thanks be to God, he was my, one of my first real encounters with a holy priest, and it was beautiful. So with that, though, let's talk about Father, excuse me, (laughs) Sister Tatum is coming up afterwards. And we're going to be talking about a beautiful life of Chiara Tabella. What did I say? Oh, yes. So we're going to talk about this beautiful life. And Sister Tatum will be coming up after the break as we discuss Blessed Chiara. Well, welcome back. Welcome back to this edition of Red Sea Roundup. Joining me in the studio, I'm very excited to have Sister Tatum with the Apostles of the Interior Life. Welcome, Sister Tatum. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, I'm just delighted that we get to talk about... Uh, she's beatified, correct? No, she's not yet. Oh, so not quite She's yet. a servant okay. of God. They're working on her canonization process and beatification. 
But before we start talking about her, I want to give everybody a little bit more insight into you. Okay. So how long have you been in the community of the Apostles Interior Life? So I joined the community when I was 21, and it was in 2009. Mm, so that tells us all And so how long have you been here in Bryan College Station? So I've been here for six years almost. Oh, we're so thankful mm-hmm. you have. This is what, your only second time with me? Yeah, just well, my second time. Thank goodness I get you back then. <laughs> uh, so tell us why you're particularly interested in Kiara, yeah. there's like a backstory there. So why don't yeah. you give us a little bit of the backstory before we start going into more about her life? Okay. So when I was in formation with the Apostles of the Interior Life, Chiara um, lived her life in Rome and that's where I was living. <laughs> um, so she died in 2012 and I was in my second year or third year in formation there. And I was actually invited to um, participate at her funeral. Wow. Um, so no, I didn't know anyone yet, but a priest just said, you all need to go. So about 10 of us sisters went to her funeral. We didn't know her. I got to know her at her funeral. And I can say that I did have um, really a life-changing moment. Mm. Can you expand on that? Or yeah. Would you like to? Yeah, okay, of course. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm sure we'll get into it, but Chiara's life is really um, quite impactful for someone who just wants to meet someone who is normal and also wants to love God and receive his love. And so at the funeral, I was recognizing this woman is only four years older than me at the time. And here she was, you know, living life as, you know, a normal young woman. And I saw how much her life was impacted by the Lord. And I said, wow, what if I let myself be loved by the Lord like she does? And what if I would love like she does? What would happen in my life? And so at the funeral, it was so joyful and just a taste of heaven. Mm. Um, So that in itself, I think, can really impact a soul, (laughs) you know, when you feel like you're in the communion of the saints all of a sudden. Um, And so it was for me um, a moment of, I think, just a deeper conversion where I wanted to love the Lord in a deeper way and, and you, let my life be changed. So you were still in formation for the apostles at the yes, time. Yes, I was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was studying and theos- this, philosophy and theology. And so it just took you to the next level. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is so beautiful. Okay, so... And she's not even really in my vocation. She's married and still this person who wasn't called a consecrated life, I saw how similar she was to me. Mm, that's mm-hmm. beautiful. Okay, so you have the fun- she's at the you're at the funeral and you're learning more about her during that time. So let's start with a little bit of background about her yeah. because you know, she died pretty young. So mm-hmm. so just give us kind of her little backstory. Yes. Okay, so Chiara was 18 years old when she met her future husband and they dated and it was a rough dating experience. They weren't just that couple that had no problems, they actually fought quite a bit. And she felt the fear of losing who she thought she was supposed to marry, but they just couldn't make it work. And so when she finally surrendered to God and saw that love is not possession, but love is just receiving, receiving the other. And so at some point, I don't really know how and when, well, I kind of read the story, but, but still you can see that 
their hearts are changed as she just lets herself be seen for who she is. She lets herself cry. She lets herself express her fears. And they end up getting married. But very soon after they got married, they experienced trial. The first baby that they had um, had anencephaly. And so that baby died shortly after birth. I think she lived around a half hour. And so they said that moment was so beautiful, though. And we would, if we would have had an abortion, as some doctors were recommending them to have, because, oh, no, it would be such a you know, tragedy to go through that moment of losing your child so shortly after birth. They said, no, if we would have had an abortion, it would have been a day we wanted to forget. Instead, mm. it was such a beautiful day. And we just brought her to the father. So that first child was named Maria Letizia. And the second one, um, she got pregnant again shortly after that. And the second one was found to have some severe handicaps and so severe that um, they actually discovered that he, too, probably would die after birth. And in fact, he did. Um, And she discovered in her heart how many people were saying, oh, you know, this child's going to be the child of consolation. You'll see. And then, no, this child was going to die. But still, they said, Where is it said that his life is incompatible with life? Mm. He is made for eternal life. And we want to welcome him and just care for him as long as God wants and entrust him to the father. And she said that day of his funeral was actually a day where she felt more happiness than she did at her wedding. And so, I mean, but so many people didn't pause on that. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) That's like, so she actually said that was a more joyful day. She said it, it was a more happy day. A happy day. So that, those are her words. Um, she, her she felt um, a deep happiness. She felt like she was tasting eternal life um, through her children that, right. that she was entrusted with. Right. Oh, that reflect on um, as mothers I've known that have lost children in similar but not the same kind of circumstances that would say, oh, it is time to rejoice because your your duty as a mother is done because your child now looks upon the face of God mm. with a surety. Mm-hmm. So that's really beautiful. So maybe that's, that's that kind of makes me think of that, that yeah. she had that moment of knowing yeah. that her child was looking upon the face of God. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So how does she get to be so popular? Like, how do we get well, to I know her? You got to hear the rest of the story, okay, though. Okay, yeah. Because it gets even harder. Okay, because go. she um, got pregnant with another child. This child was healthy, and they named him Francesco. They're having a little boy, but she found out into the pregnancy that she had some like a something on her tongue, and she got it looked at by the dentist. And the dentist was like, "You need to get some testing done on this. It might be a tumor." And in fact, it was a tumor. And so she had to make the decision, her and her husband, to have treatment that was localized on her tongue and do what was necessary for that moment. But she couldn't do all the treatments because she was pregnant. And so she had, they, the doctors were pushing her and trying to get her to, to have the baby basically as soon as possible so that she could have the more severe surgeries. And, and they were really treating that child like a fetus that, you know, her life was more important. Like, let's just get this baby out of you so that way we can go on with saving your life. Um, But she didn't feel like they were really trying to protect the child. And so she felt kind of like this lioness trying to protect her her young. And um, and so she had the baby at a time when when she knew that it was safe enough and um, and he wasn't at risk. And so then she had her procedures and and it was very traumatic and and 
she found out in April, so about a year after he was born, that she was a terminal patient. And so she died um, on June 13th of 2012, um, about, yeah, a year, a, a year and 12 days after his birth. Wow. Okay. So, and then you were there for that. So that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. But why did so she, beautiful. why did she rise to such like prominence? Why is it stuck around? Why everybody's like, wow, yeah. this is such a great witness or testimony that a book has been written about it. Right. Well, I don't know, Pam, if you've ever noticed that there are lots of saints from Italy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, now we have lots of saints in, in Italy and all their relics are in Italy and they get to place them there. I don't know what's going on, but I know they're saints in America. But what I think that Italy needed at this time of great secularization and great just like indifference to all these amazing saints is they needed someone who they could relate to. Mm. It's that's what God wanted for them in that time. Oh, it's so beautiful. And we do need that beautiful witness of the, the laity and the married state to be heroic like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so fast forward a little bit on someone writing a book about her life. Okay, so it was only maybe not even a whole year after her death that... Um that her two friends, who Simone and Cristiana, who um, he's he's in journalism. Cristiana was one of her best friends, so got to be there with Chiara in intimate moments, and and they just felt inspired to to write this. And Enrico also wanted something to That's be her ri- husband. Her husband yeah. wanted something to be written because many people were asking for testimonies throughout Italy. We heard about Chiara. Can you come give us a testimony? He's like, I am a a father, a single father of of a one or two year old, you know? And, and so he's had to have some collaborators, people to just share her story throughout Italy. And at this point, her book has been translated in over 10 languages. What? Yeah. And so there's a lot of work. And so the book has provided just this opportunity for more people to get to know her. And I really recommend it. Um, Sophia Institute press translated it um, into English and, um, and I've just been hearing over and over again of how, you know, there's a young woman or a dad who reads this story and and can relate so well with either Enrico or Chiara. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it's been awesome just to see how the book has taken off. I don't know why Chiara is so needed right now, um, but I can say that everyone who knows her just feels like she's a friend. Wow. And so and she's so beautiful. She is really around, beautiful. Yeah, very beautiful. Yeah. She's um, actually the cover of the book has an image of her only one month before she died. Um, mm. And she has this this little um, kind of bandage over her eye. So she kind of looks like a pirate. And that's a very famous image. by at this point, mm-hmm. um, so people know what I'm probably talking about. And she looks so joyful. And I think many people do forget, though, that this is a month before her death. Right. And the subtitle for the book uh, is A Witness to Joy, mm-hmm. which is beautiful. So I'm going to read just a little bit about what the Sophia had put up there. Is that that key? I can't say her name as well. As she, so you say the way you say it is like a key, you know, like key, in a door okay. and then key R, like the letter R and then a. Uh. So key, key R. Uh. Yeah. Patrio. That, I guess was that her married name? Is the That was her. Married name, Corbella, is not her middle name. It's her maiden name. Her maiden name. Okay. Mm-hmm. She, it says that she was seated in a wheelchair looking lovingly toward Jesus in the tabernacle, and her husband, Enrico, found the courage to ask her a question that he had been holding back 
Thinking of Jesus' phrase, my yoke is sweet and my burden is light, he asked, is this yoke, this cross, really sweet, as Jesus said? A smile came across Kiara's face. She turned to her husband and said in a weak voice, yes, Enrico, it is very sweet. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's just amazing. So she was 28 and actually, when she passed. And to add to this moment that they had, um, you know, Enrico said to somebody, he said, if my wife is going to someone who loves her more than I, why should I be disappointed? Oh, yeah. you know, that is such a, an amazing concept because I've wrestled with this when I've lost loved ones. Is it I have this juxtaposition of being so happy for them, especially if they were of deep faith, that they're going home to be with the father and see the beatific vision and my own sadness for losing their witness in the world. I, right. I That's a really difficult time, right. I think. Right, right. And so I, I can think, see him having that too, though. Oh, right. And he definitely does live grief, you know, um, just a real person experiencing a real loss um, and having to grapple with this. There's a beautiful testimony on YouTube that he gives um, at, uh, it's called Encounter um, in New York City. He went to New York City and gave a testimony there. Um, and you can tell just a man who is like has lost his wife um, and is now having to share about his wife um, day in and day out, basically um, Mm -hmm. to those who ask um, and just noticing that, yeah, that, that he is having to share her with the world um, and really didn't expect this out of his life. So um, yeah, I, I find him to be also a very good and holy, holy man. Oh, so when was this? Um, when was this book finished and completed and available for so, us? Yeah, so this book um, it was really cool because it got translated just after I got here um, when I moved um, back from Rome. So it was 2015, and Sophia Institute Press, um, yeah, just saw just that this was a, a woman that we needed to share um, also in the states, and so. Yeah, it's been since 2015, and I can say it really is a book that just shares hand to hand. Like, hey, you got to read this book. Hey, you got to read this book. Um, okay. We don't even do any pub- publicity for it. It just all happens. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But so, did you have something to do in the background of all of this? <laughs> Tell me what that story is. Um. Well, okay. So after her funeral, I couldn't get Kiara out of my head. I just felt like. You know, there was just a connection there, and I, I wanted to share her with other people, and I wanted to start translating things. And so um, I translated this letter that she, that her and her husband wrote that was read at the funeral and made a PowerPoint video out of it. And I sent it to one of my old dorm directors, which is Lisa Cotter, who is a speaker, yeah, uh, a Catholic speaker, yeah, sure. speaks a lot for Focus. And um you know, she had shared in her blog that she experienced second, like a second term, basically infertility. And so I thought, oh, Lisa, you would really love this story. Please like read it if you, if you feel like it. And, um, and so she read it and she was so just touched by Kiara's life and shared her story at the SEEK conference in 2013. And so basically, um, all I needed to do was just get the story into someone's hands that was more popular than me, <laughs> you know? And so since then, you know, Lisa has this blog that she wrote about Kiara's life and, um, you know, it was taken by Catholic Exchange and Catholic Exchange shared the blog and, and I, and it was such a hit, maybe 17,000 viewers that I said, 
you guys, would you be interested in translating the book? It would be so amazing. This book is really good. Please take an interest in it. I'll, I'll translate the first chapter for you just so you can see what it's like. And so they, they looked into it and they're like, yes, we'll translate it. So I did not translate the book um, because I do not have those skills. Um, I only just put the okay. the thought into the head of somebody. <laughs> okay, so now who wrote it and then who translated it? Okay, so um, as I said, his, her two good friends, Simone and Christiana. Okay. So um, they're her age. Um, yeah, and... And then Enrico does a preface, a preface of the book, um, and and it's translated by Charlotte Fazi. Yeah, Charlotte Fazi. Okay. Wow. And so it's been out since when? What year? Well, her book has been out since 2013 in Italy. It took a couple years to get it to the States and until and 2015. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's been rolling around for a little bit. Yeah, it has. Yeah. That's beautiful. So when, when I first talked to you about doing the show on her, I was like, oh, I really want to talk about some of her virtues because yeah. I'm all about bringing more virtue down from heaven. Like, thy kingdom come, Lord. You know, we want to yes. have some more of that. So I'd love for you to yeah. tell some really have- cool stories about some of the virtues she exhibited while she was here that we can learn from. Okay. So I was thinking about these, Pam, and I was thinking about her obedience. Mm. Um, first one, um, which is not a fun virtue, is it not? And But this is Holy Week. And so that's why I wanted to talk about it, because this is exactly as the Father um, desires yes. us to be. And this is how what Jesus modeled us um, to be like. And so so anyway, so her acceptance of God's will and her surrender to God's will um, and the receptivity. This is her biggest virtue, I believe. Um, so as I was sharing her story, you might have received just a glance at she was not fighting the fact that God was sending her trials. (laughs) She was trying her best to receive what God had and trusting that he was a good father and that he was not a God that only wanted to give out chocolate candy, you know, but he went, it was a God who loved her and that had a plan for everything. And so yeah, I really yeah, kind of want to pause you right here because I think this is so applicable to just our lives. So the oftentimes when the trials do come our way and our friends, our loved ones, um, and it's so very painful, it's like, how do you get from, I willingly accept this, like, ouch, this hurts a lot, and Lord, but I accept it. I mean, can mm-hmm. you tell it, can you give us some insight, like, you know, because, of course, y'all are apostles of the interior life. So yeah. interiorly, you know, when we first receive stuff, it is going to be, oh, my gosh, this is awful. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. Ooh, yuck. This yep. is painful. Yep. But when we try to look through the lens of the what Christ wants for our life and being obedient to his will, it's still kind of difficult to make that transition. So can you talk us through something like that? Yeah. In the, you know, coming from her, her yeah. point of view as well. Okay. So I will use um, just a experience that Kiara had right after finding out she was terminal. So her friend Christiana, who is one of the writers of the book, says to her, are you worried? And she says, you know, Christiana, I quit wishing to understand. Otherwise, I would go crazy. And I am better. Now I am at peace. Now I can take whatever comes. He knows what he is doing. And up to now, he has never disappointed. Later, I shall understand If it had happened a month ago, I would not have held up. Now I can do it if I look at today and live in the present moment. 
then for each day, there is grace. Day by day, I have only to make space. Okay. So what she's saying there is, you asked me this a month ago. No, can't do it. You know why? Because she knows that she can only say yes to the present moment because that is what God's asking her. And every time she fell into what's called a trap to worry about the future, to worry about what's it going to be like for my husband to be left alone with a child. Oh my gosh. He doesn't even, will he know where the socks go? You know, um, when she spent a night fearful of that. And she said the next morning, she's like, nope, this is not the way I can live these last weeks. This is not how I can do it. And so what she's saying there is I have to live only in the present moment because in the present moment, there will be grace. I have only to make space for that. Wow, that is, that is such a good reminder. So I kind of want to just pause on that because I think that applies to every single person that's listening now. And I like to use the, the kind of like the analogy is that when we receive bad news, we respond in a very human way, which is usually, oh, no, this is horrible. Tears, crying, sadness, grief and mourning. And she's just such a perfect witness of saying, let's take that back, Um, understand God's allowed it for this moment in time, and he's always been so good, is what you Mm -hmm. said in this opening part. So when we have these trials, to just take a breath and know that God is in control and God is there with you and that we should always trust in the Father's plan. Yeah. But I think think it's important to bring out that She's saying God has always been so good to me. She's saying that after she's lost two children. Yeah. She can say that. Doesn't it? She can say that. Yeah. I think that's important context too. Um, Can you maybe elaborate or, or contemplate that fact? How could, how was she able to, to get there to say that? Yeah. Well, it's a good question, Thaddeus. And I don't know if I know because I don't know, the depths of her heart in that moment, because really that is plummaging the depths of someone's soul into that moment of knowing that you're going to die in a month. So I think that there has to do something with just recognizing, wow, God has done amazing things. And now he's still working. I, she couldn't deny it, you know? So so he's going to do more amazing things. And she she had to pray through this because she said, I don't understand why it's better that I leave. Mm-hmm. And I think that's Jesus. Lord, if it be your will, pass this cup from me, but not my will, but your will, you know. And, and I think that Chiara is so normal and so... so identifiable in that, yes, like Pam saying, like we ache and we are in pain. And her and um, Enrico were, the moment they found out, you know, they didn't know what to say or do exactly except recite their marriage vows to each other, knowing that this is the sacrament we've been asked to enter into. And this is, this is it. This is us saying yes again to God's love for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm reminded when you're talking there that she also said that the day of the funeral of her second child was happier than her wedding day. Mm-hmm. So uh, she's, she's obviously speaking from that 
when she talks about God being so good that she had, you know, she had already experienced his, his loving care mm-hmm. for her. Yeah. In you, what up to that point had been maybe the darkest day of her, of her life. You know, before air, Thaddeus and I were having a brief conversation about, you know, faith and obviously this is her faith and her trust in God was tremendous. Um, but what I kind of started hearing as you two were talking is it is about trusting the father, trusting him in such a great way. And it's also about getting more comfortable with that unseen. Like we all say that right in the creed, all that is seen and unseen. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like at some point she's starting to get a very good feel or in Intuition about this unseen that God is pouring on to her. Mm, that's a like great more, point, yeah. more than we really do, because we usually are always kind of what meets the eye. Yep. But our faith and our trust in God should elevate our thoughts to be above like this human world stuff. And not that we can put on the mind of God, but he can share it. He can share insights with us, right? And so I, I see that she she was getting there, like through her pain and her grief to start to have that moment where she's peeking above the veil, so to speak, to try and see things as God sees things. So yep. maybe that could needs to I be actually, a... Yeah, could I actually share with you a moment that she had? Oh, That's sure. one of my oh, favorite moments. That's why you're here. Yeah, so um, after um, she she's back at home, she's um, at her parents' house preparing to die, okay? And um, they call in their favorite priest, her spiritual director, Father Vito, for kind of a last mass, and to hear her confession um, so she can receive the Eucharist um, in that moment as well. Um, not, she was probably definitely prepared, <laughs> you know, um, for, for the Eucharist. And, um, and so the day of that day, the gospel of the day was, you are the light of the world. Um, yeah, yeah the, the salt in the, the bushel basket and all that, you know. It's, um, and so um, her spiritual director is basically having a, his giving his homily and is a dialogue with him and her. And he says to her, Kiara, who is the light? Who is the lampstand? And she says, Jesus. And he says, yes. And what is the lampstand? And she says, the cross. Mm. And he says, yes, Kiara, and you are on the cross with Jesus and you are radiant. I know we're both, we're all getting kind of choked up over here. Yes, that's <laughs> I quite beautiful. I always get choked up when I tell that part. Um, and she says, that's yes. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's joy. Yeah, she says, she says, yes, yes. It's, you know, and she basically had this moment. She's like, yeah, that's, that's it. This is, this is what we live for, you know? And Enrico said, I would live my life just for that mass. Wow. So just her repeat that once more with time. The Father. It was just that she is the cross or with him. So the lampstand is the cross. Jesus is the light, you know, mm-hmm. is the lamp is the light. And, but Chiara is with him on the cross on and the she cross. is radiant. And yeah, he said, I've never seen a woman so beautiful than that moment. Wow. Yeah. That is so touching. It's just beyond. Sister Tatum, take us back to Kiara's life before this climactic part of her life. Was she always a woman of, of faith? Did she grow up in a household and in a, a, a culture question, yeah. of deep Catholic faith? And was Enrique always or Enrico always like yeah. that? 
Okay, so Chiara's story, um, you know, they share a little bit about in this in the book, but her mom belonged to a charismatic movement and taught the her two daughters, so Chiara was the youngest of two daughters, very close in age, to pray a half hour every day. And they didn't always want to do that. They didn't always want to to do that because they wanted to watch their shows, you know, on TV or whatever. Um, her dad was uh, he was in tourism, and they traveled a lot. So it was a pretty wealthy family, um, and but they were a family that prayed together. Yes, um, Enrico, his father died when he was younger, and that was a big moment for him. He had a lot of fears of losing someone. Um, you know, he was young. He was in his 20s when his dad died. And so, like, he had to he had fears to face, you know, um, of losing other loved ones in his life. Um, so I think his conversion, though, um, or his life of faith, you know, was pretty normal. Um, so it doesn't describe it in the book because it's a book about Chiara more so. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But yeah, both people, both of them were going to Medjugorje, actually, um, different different opportunities, different times that they've gotten to do that. So they had a very close relationship with Mary. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, and Chiara, she, she didn't, um, when she be, got older, left her family, was maybe living on her own, although the culture is a little different over there in, in Italy. You, <laughs> you, you might live at home with your family longer than you would here in the States is all yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. Um, she didn't, she didn't necessarily um, live a, a very, a, a very secular lifestyle or a non-religious life. She stayed close to her, to her Catholic yeah, faith. And she didn't, she, her first boyfriend was in Rilico. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So. so there's, it just seems like she has been kind of, building up to this moment or these, t these years of her life for her whole life. Mm -hmm. And there was a, a real, I don't know, a real closeness, a real com comfortability with, yeah. with the Lord. Right. And built I, over many years yeah, is what I'm being at home with Jesus. Yeah. You know, and I, I think, um, Enrico, everyone in her family and herself would want to say though, is that, do not give her any supernatural, you know, powers, you know, because she was very normal. She, she struggled. She struggled. She had fear. She had fear of vomiting. She had fear of purgatory and she had fear of pain and she didn't really want to live those things, you know? Um, and so I think that making sure as we share her story, that she was a normal person is one of the most important things that we can, that we can do in sharing her story because we need to see that, Hey, she's not so different from me. And like I at the funeral, what if I would love like she did? What could God do with my life? Mm -hmm. and so it's, we don't need to have this attitude towards saints of like, wow, look at them. I have pictures of Chiara in my office. People give them to me because they know I love her. And, you know, so I do have this like, um, I don't know, a admiration for her, but I think more importantly with the saints, we need to have friendship with them. And who are you friends with? You are friends with people that you feel you can relate to yes. who are looking at the same goal as you. And you're not, you're looking at Jesus. She directs like Mary to Jesus and not to her, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think that. Can, can I ask one more question? Oh yeah, please. Uh, is there any evidence that um, she drew inspiration or confidence to handle her pregnancies from Gianna Beretta Mola and what Gianna Beretta Mola did 
with with her. There's there's a lot of parallels there in, in those, right. those two lives. Right. Well, they're both Italian, mm-hmm. and you know they're both in you know the the century. You know they're they're, right. they're you know more recent. So I don't have any kind of confirmation though based on her writings or what other people have shared but the cardinal who was at her funeral because ha knew that this was a pretty amazing woman at this point um he he said i believe that we have a gift here of a second gianna beretta mola Uh so the cardinal himself who also encouraged the undergoing of her canonization Mm -hmm. um said those words. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Again, I just want to kind of go back to the whole obedience was the virtue we were talking about. And I love the way you were trying to string to, or the way we have stringed together her obedience to letting go of fear of the future Mm -hmm. and the obedience of living God's will in the present moment. I mean, that is so pertinent for our day and time right now. And for me in my life, <laughs> and who, who, who couldn't use that? Exactly. But, you know, can you kind of talk a little bit more on, on that obedience? Like, it's just such a tough one. I mean, mm-hmm. I've tried to have people come on the show to really expand on obedience, and I've never gotten a yes because it's such a tough oh, virtue to tackle. I will try. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when I was in formation, before I met Chiara, this is what my formator said. Obedience is passion for the will of God. Mm. And what if we look at obedience like that? Is that not what Jesus, how he lived it? Passion for the will of God. He was not passive you know, there's in Italian, there's this, um, he under, he underwent that, which he suffered that underwent is a, it sounds very passive, but it's an active verb in Italian, pati. And that is very telling everything in the passion of Jesus is very seemingly he was, he was mocked. He was betrayed. He was hurt. He was wounded. Everything's happening to him. But this undergoing, this Italian verb in an active sense, not passive sense, is him like embracing reality and and embracing the will of the Father. This is very active. Mm. He is saying yes. It is not that he is just letting it all fall on him. He is saying yes to even the people who are arresting him. He is receiving his the his arresters are just taking him and there's a beautiful author in Italian that says the hands of his arresters he received at the hands of his father. Oh my goodness. And how do we make wow. sense of that? You can't you know, you can't, you know, because you're like, well, wait, what about God? He doesn't really want that, does he? You know, it's like, okay, it's acceptance of whatever God is allowing right. to happen, knowing that there is something bigger here. You know, in yesterday's reflection in the Magnificat, they were talking about the word passion comes from, I believe, passio, the Latin, which says patient. Yeah. It's a patient waiting. Mm. And so maybe that, you know, I, I like that idea, exactly what you're saying. It all plays into that obedience, that patience of allowing what's happening. You know, I'm really big on abandonment to divine providence, maybe too big in some kinds. Oh, it's just going to be happening. But that patient waiting and allowing God's will to happen and trying to embrace it moment to moment. It's like, how fast do we get to from our human reaction mm-hmm. to that patient surrender and obedience to 
the will that's falling upon us. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So she's really such an amazing example of that. Yeah. Yeah. Latin pati to endure, undergo, experience. That's the yeah. that's the Latin root for passion. Endure, and it's the same Italian word you were just talking about, pati. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was obedience is her primary one. Was there a little secondary one, you know, that you may want to share with us in this last five minutes of the show? Yeah. Well, I think it's her letting herself be loved. Is that a mm. virtue? I don't love. I don't know. I feel like, you know, oftentimes we think of love as giving love. Okay. But let's just, I don't know what, do you, Thaddeus or Pam, do you have an idea of like just letting yourself be loved, what that virtue is? <laughs> Lovability. <laughs> ah, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah. It could fall under justice. Could fall under receive what is due. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so this like receiving the father's love, you know, mm. receiving the love of her husband, you know, um, she marveled at the day, the, the last days of her death. Um, she was with her sister, Elisa, and she was marveling with her of how how much Enrico loved her. That was her focus. I mean, she's about to leave her son, you know, and she is marveling over the love of her husband and the love of her husband was what God used as the, the sacramental of his love for her. And, yes. you know, and so Chiara is just receiving the father's love through Enrico and knows that she belongs to the father and the father has entrusted her heart to Enrico. And so she is just receiving this love. And it has it is the love that gives her the strength as well to undergo moments of great trial. There was a moment after her a major surgery. And she had a dark night of the soul, basically, where she doubted God because she thought, why are you letting all this happen to me? Like, what is going on? And, and if you really existed this, you know what? And she's just stops in her tracks and she feels so sad that she doubted. Mm. And the next morning next to her bed is her husband reading about perfect joy from St. Francis, all, all of his writings about it's perfect joy when these bad things happen to you, you know, and she's, she's seeing that through her husband, the Lord is reminding her, I still love you. Yes. And, and that's what she has to just receive. She has to receive her vocation through her husband. She has to receive her vocation through the father. Right. It's so interesting. I, I, I hate to talk about myself, but I have to say that one of my deeper conversions was that moment where I was in Eucharistic adoration, pouring myself out to Lord, I want to love you more and show me how I can love you more. And I just want to give everything to you and give, give, give. And I just felt like in my spirit, he said, no, you just sit and let me love you. Hmm. And when I did that, like to go to adoration and say, okay, Lord, I'm just going to be here to let you love me. There was so much healing that started in my life mm. at that moment. Just I call it the healing gaze, you know, like that mm. holy gaze where he could just gaze on you and and love. I say, Lord, love me to wholeness mm. for receiving that gaze just yep. like that. And I think that's something that we can learn from yeah. her yes. is just allowing ourselves to be loved. Because I think that is, especially as women, sometimes it's a lot harder. I don't know about the guys. Guys, do you feel lovable? <laughs> I feel pretty lovable. <laughs> um, can I, I know we only have a couple of minutes left, but I think another virtue that I see in her life is the virtue of hope. Yes, and the way yeah. I would clarif- classify that is that her faith was not 
temporal in, in the sense of it was not relegated. It was not this gaze that was down here on the horizontal. Her gaze was always upward. She was always thinking about eternal things. She was always contemplating the eternal trajectory of her life, her children's life, uh, lives. Um, that is, we're so in need of that yes. today, that internal perspective. Too often we take a temporal yes. perspective or an imminent perspective. Would you mind then if I close with a, just some, some writings about yeah. that? Beautiful, Thaddeus. That's thank you. Elevated thoughts. We loved your brother and sister. She says this to her son Francesco, and we have loved you, knowing that you were not ours, that you were not for us, and so it must be with everything in life. Everything that you have does not belong to you. You have you have it so that it can bear fruit. Do not be discouraged, my son. God never takes anything away from you. If he takes something, it is only because he wishes to give you so much more. Thanks to your brother and sister, we fell more in love with eternal life than ever, and we have stopped being afraid of death. Therefore, God has taken from us in order to give us a bigger heart and to be open to receiving eternity in this earthly life. It is beautiful And I'll just close with this. It is beautiful to have some examples in life that remind you that a person can demand the happiness already here on earth with God as a guide. We know that you are special and that you have a great mission. And the Lord has wanted you from all time. And he will show you the path to follow you if you open your heart to him. Trust in him. It is worth it. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, go and love your neighbor.